Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jerry Petito Show on Remember Then Radio. You know, I've got a really, really cool guest today. Kind of different than what you guys are used to hearing from me. But when I found out about this guy, I just had to interview him. He's not only an incredible artist in his own right with what he does. He's from Astoria, New York. Come on, are you kidding me? I was born and raised in Long Island City and Astoria, New York, growing up. So, without further ado, guys, Bud Cardone, how are you? Hi, Jerry. Hello, everyone. So, you know, I want to just give them a little briefing on who you are and why I have you here, okay? That's fine. Okay. So, um, you are the author of two books, The Rock and Roll Triviapedia... And the recently re- released Triviapedia 2, aha, the big book of questions. Both books cover rock and roll music trivia facts from the 60s through the 90s. You're a native New Yorker with roots from Astoria, and you've been involved with music since teenage years, playing bass, bass guitar with garage bands, an active songwriter of over 75 songs, a producer and arranger, band manager, and a live DJ at oldies clubs. You're known by your friends and family as a walking music encyclopedia. That is so cool. So why don't you tell everyone and me, before we really get started with the show, what got you into this? Uh, It's kind of a long and convoluted story, but I'll cut it down as much as I can. Okay. Um, I've always been involved in rock and roll to some form or fashion. I can remember when I was about maybe five or six years old, even back then, being into it. My best friend was a transistor radio that an uncle had given to me. And it's one of those situations that you don't try to do it, Jerry. Um, Do you know anyone, or I'm sure that listeners know people, they could name the batting average of every member of the New York Yankees from any given year. Do you know anyone like that? I, of course I do. <laughs> I kind of do that with music. It's one of those things that I, I don't try to do. It just kind of sticks in my head. And over the years, there's been more and more knowledge that was added to it. And it just kept on going. And finally, I realized that hey, there's something going on here. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself a little bit later on having people calling me, sometimes mid-afternoon, sometimes middle of the night, hey, who did this song? Or, hey, can you hear this? Who's doing it? And all of a sudden, I realized I was acting as a walking encyclopedia for them. So now let's take this back several years. I had moved to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I am now. And I wound up falling into a great bunch of people along the way, mainly Chicago and Ohio people. And we went under the collective acronym of SMARTASS, which meant 60s Music and Rock Trivia Anti-Sobriety Society. Wait, Uh, I have to cut you off. Wait, I have to cut you off. SMARTASS is like kind of my nickname. My book, I'm the author of I'm Not an Addict, I'm Just an Ass, I'd Rather Be a Smartass Than a Dumbass. Right, and I noticed that. It's kind of a strange coincidence. I uh, continue. And it's it was kind of funny that we had that, but 
our basis besides the anti-sobriety society. Um, now, we weren't a bunch of drunks. We just liked to get together and hang out and party. But all of a sudden, we noticed everyone was into music. And we started going to this thing called Quick Quiz, where some of the people would come up with, it was then cassette tapes, and they would just have intros to it, or they would have a piece of it, or they'd write up questions, and it always came down to challenges along the way. So that was our basis. Now, let's take this forward to about four years ago. Uh, I had moved away from Jacksonville, lived in Indiana for 23 or 24 years, came back to Jacksonville, and I'm reuniting with some of my old friends. And a good friend of mine from the old crowd, Rick Kreiner, he tried to get me into this blog with a couple of other old guys along the way of music. And when Rick was introducing me to them in written form, he made the mention that, hey, Cardone is one of those guys, if he were to write down or if he were to contribute his trivia knowledge, it would take a book. And rather than take that as a compliment, I took it as a challenge. Okay. And <laughs> I just sat down and figured, all right, let's do this. And I started writing stuff out and um, just kept on going and going and all of a sudden doing some more research. And lo and behold, along the way, two books pop out. So, all right. So let's talk about your smart ass thing again real quick. So sure. I lo- I kind of love it. So you're that was like anti sobriety, and I'm like pro sobriety. And we both, <laughs> it, it, it was, <laughs> but we both use the same word. Like that's so cool to me. Like I like all that stuff. <laughs> well, d- don't let it get you wrong. Anti sobriety, just because it worked into to smart ass. Um, like I said, we weren't a bunch of. No, drugs. I uh, get that. I love it. And it still sticks around to this day. As a matter of fact, um, when the first book came out and people were starting to receive it, Rick Kreiner, who basically started this whole thing, posted a picture of the first book with the two smart-ass logos framing it around. So he remembers the old days. Oh, uh, my god! I'm glad some people do. That is so funny to me. I just had a product line completed and people could get their names put on it and we have tumblers shirts everything hats all that stuff right even masks and what i made them do for part of it was i'd rather be a smart ass than a dumbass with a pink donkey butt on it okay <laughs> so that's it. why this is so funny to me okay this is just so funny to me all right so i want to say hello to people in the chat room right now because we have some mutual friends so we have your brother who I've interviewed. Uh-oh. Yep, musician Uh-oh. John Cardone. So tell everyone real quick about him. Uh, baby brother. Uh, <laughs> if we were to go back to um, the, the early days, we have a seven-year age difference between us. Okay. And Wait, John, I do have to interrupt you for one minute because the owner is calling me and there's something going on in the chat room. I need to take this. Hold on, hold on. Hey, Stevie. You're being recorded, unfortunately, but how are you? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the site, just in the chat room, the radio part's not working, but it's broadcasting. That's what I thought. That's what I told Bud. Okay, so we're good. So, but now I have a question. I was going to play a couple songs. Will they be able to hear it in the chat room? Uh, yeah, well, if they, if they 
click the thing that says having trouble listening. Okay, okay. Okay, thank you, sweetheart. That was the okay, owner of yeah. Remember Then Radio. Uh, <laughs> One of the um, owners. I'm in, I'm in the car. Okay. Yes, okay. Angel and Stevie. All right, thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye sweetheart. <laughs> okay, bud. So we have good news. Um, everything is fine. We're just having some issues in the chat room. Um, but... They can still hear us in the chat room as well. That was one of the owners of Remember Them Radio helping me out here. And uh, even a couple of songs that I'm going to play should be should not be an issue. So we're good, bud. So um, I'm sorry for that interruption, but it was it was really important. Okay, so continue. Um, well, we're talking about baby brother, John. Yes. There was a seven-year difference between us. Uh, this is the point in time that we're just about coming into Beatlemania. You had shows like Where the Action Is and Shindig and Hullabaloo. And of course, I was into it at that point. And what do I do? I have Baby Brother along with me. And he loved the music as much as I did. And it's to the point that I even remember playing air guitar and he was playing air drums. I think he was the inventor of air drums. And it turns out we both kind of grew up with this love of music along the way. And um, John, as it turns out, he's the one that had the actual talent for playing. I was one of the world's worst bass guitarists. Uh, I gave all my equipment over to him. And uh, he's had a great life and great career playing bass guitar. And I continued with the production and the writing work. So there's the story behind that. So that's really cool. And, and, you know, of course, I'm a fan of your brother. Um, And we have Jules in the chat room. Okay. Listen, she's a fellow Astorian, a very good friend of my cousin, Angela Ditta from Astoria. So the connection is incredible. And now Richie Nicosia, another incredible Astoria musician. He's in the chat room and I've interviewed him as well. And we're all friends. Astoria in the house. Astoria in the house. Um, So I want to say hello to everyone else in the chat room. Um... Babalu, I hope you can hear me because Babalu always has front row seats for Remember Then Radio in our chat room. Thank you, Babalu. So having said all that, um, and again, a shout out to the owners, Angel and Steve of Remember Then Radio, because um, calling in and helping me with what what we just uh, had to fix. Okay, thank you for that. They're awesome as well. So, you know, I'm an Elvis fan. Okay, a huge Elvis fan. And you have three really cool facts about Elvis. So I'm going to have you tell everyone about the third one. Okay, the, the one you sent me that says, except for a few Canadian performers. Yeah, yeah. Tell us that one. I love that one. Well, one of the things I like to do on my daily blog post is put things in the form of question to make it a little bit more interesting. And I remember this one, I started out along the way asking if people remembered Elvis's concerts in Singapore and Tokyo and London and Spain. And oddly enough, some people came back and said, yeah, I have the album. Well, the point is people don't realize that as big a star as Elvis was, he, the exception of some Canadian performances, he never performed overseas. He was always in the States or in Hawaii, which was still a state at that point in time, but he never performed overseas. Now, 
it seems strange with as large a star as Elvis is, why he was never booked overseas. Well, does the name Colonel Tom Parker ring a bell? Yep. Colonel Tom was his manager. Colonel Tom was one of the early robber barons, as I like to call them, of the music business. And he had a very, very tight control over Elvis, almost a Svengali-type situation. Um, Elvis would do whatever he said, what it came down to, and Colonel Tom was being kind. He was only taking 50% of Elvis's money. Well, it turns out that the reason that Elvis never did any overseas tours was because Colonel Tom had to go with him, his own rules. Colonel Tom was an illegal alien in the United States. Yep. He was born in the Netherlands. Uh, he entered the country illegally through, I believe, as a merchant marine, uh, stayed here, changed his name, got involved in music matching some smaller bands, and basically stayed that way. So he would not leave the country under fear that he would not be allowed back in. That is the story behind Elvis's overseas tours. So now... I'm going to be 60 years old in March, and I was born in 61, and I'm saying that for a reason. So I was a huge Elvis fan, but I always said I was born too late, because I should have been one of them in the 50s with the poodle skirts. You know, I was only into <laughs> Elvis, doo-wop, oldies, all that incredible music. And I remember researching that, because I remember being mad that he didn't allow him, and I researched it, and I actually knew that fact. And you're going to be shocked because I don't know a lot of dates and times of, you know, I'm, I'm not into all that. If it didn't matter to me, I didn't care and I didn't know. All I cared about was the music, how much I loved it and, and what it meant to me. But when it came to Elvis, there were certain things that I did know. And your facts, I did know. So let's talk about Elvis buying Graceland. Come on, tell everyone that. Well, we all know that Graceland was Elvis's home, which he had purchased for his mother. Um, I was there myself a few years ago, and to be quite honest, is a little bit of a disappointment, particularly the Jungle Room. I think it was more of an homage to bad design. Um, but there is a story behind Graceland that people really don't seem to, to ask very much about. Elvis did not build the building, number one. He bought it from a lady by the name of Ruth Brown Moore. And I think he paid like a little bit over $100,000 at that point in time. It was a 23-room, 10,000-square-foot home. It was on close to 14 acres of land. And Elvis would take it over and eventually expand it out to 17,000 square feet. Well, the thing is, basically, how did the name come about? Uh, Grace wasn't his mother's name. There was nobody in the family named Grace or no involvement. Well, when Elvis bought it, that was already the name. It had originally been used as the Graceland Christian Church and was named after the building's daughter, Grace Tooth. That's pretty cool. So, that is pretty cool. I just am so happy about these Elvis facts. Let's do one more Elvis fact. Ah, Let's do this. You're going to love this one. That's this right. Is Sam Phillips. Let's do it. Um. We all remember the name Sam Phillips. Sam was the owner of Sun Records back in the 50s, and he was involved with Elvis, with Jerry Lee, Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, and a whole lot of people. Well, as it turns out, Sam Phillips became a very, very wealthy man, but it wasn't on Elvis, 
and it wasn't on Jerry Lee, and it wasn't on Roy Orbison. As a matter of fact, it wasn't on Sun Studios, period. Um, Sam was a pretty smart businessman, and what he did was sold Elvis's contract to RCA Records. Now, somebody would wonder, Elvis was really up and coming in those days. Rock and roll was coming on strong. So he had in his grasp, in his power, in his control, under contract, one of the biggest names of rock and roll at that point in time. And he turned around and sold the contract. And people wonder why. Actually, it turns out to be a very good business decision because Elvis's contract was due to expire in a year. So there wasn't any certainty as to whether or not Elvis is still going to be around in a year, or if he was going to renew his contract, what he did was take the $35,000 that he sold the contract for, and he used it for investment, and got into an up-and-coming nationwide franchise called, ready for this? Let's go. Holiday Inn. Does that name sound familiar? Yes. Sam Phillips was actually one of the founding members of the Holiday Inn chain. And he became a very, very wealthy man as a result of that, which was the result of selling Elvis's contract. You know, this is such cool information, especially for all the Elvis fans out there, baby. Come on. (laughs) Well, that's the point of the book. The book is not intended to just give little softball facts. You know, I have a book up here called World's Hardest uh, Trivia Contest, huh? trivia questions and you open it up and what was the flip side of my boyfriend's back or what was Ringo Starr's real name you know these aren't hard trivia facts that they're irrelevant facts what I try to do in the books in both of them is come up with information like this that is not really general knowledge to people Uh, and what I want to get in here is something that becomes kind of a mind blower I want there to be a fact like wow I never knew that and that's the whole concept. That's that's what the book you know, went after. So, so you know, of course, I, I'm going to try and stump you, right? Of course. Okay, and I didn't tell you this. So this, guys, everyone listening, he did not know that I was going to do this. But he's a smart trivia guy, so I'm sure he had a feeling. So he does not know what I'm going to ask him. And I really do want to stump him. All right, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. The True Tones from Washington, D.C., was led by who, and what soul group did he go on to form? True Tones, Washington, D.C. That sounds familiar. You got me on that one, Jerry. Okay. That one is not registering. Okay. Ron Henderson Sr., Choice of Color. Okay. Okay. One more. Okay. Here we go. I'm ready. In the song... I believe, as sung by Larry Chance. Who wrote the under lyrics and the spoken lyrics? Oh, that one I should know. I should definitely know that one because I remember a lot of stuff about Larry. Um, he was involved with Danny and the Juniors. He was involved with Frankie Avalon. Uh, you got me. Do okay. I, I have to. I have to excuse myself. Doo-wop is not my area specialty. Okay. So. so the answer is Stan Ziska of the Del Satins. Okay. Del Satins. God, yes. 
and I cannot take credit, of course, for these two questions. So, so again, one of the owners, Angel and Steve, Stevie gave me these questions. He is ridiculous. Uh, listen, I'm going to say something that, that you might not believe, but I bet you he probably knows 90% of what's in your books. The guy is off the charts ridiculous. So I, I have to meet him, and definitely I, I, I would worship the guy if he's that good. Oh, my goodness. Well, again, he started RTR, him and Angel are co-owners, and um, there's nothing he doesn't know. I have yeah, never, it's crazy. We could be in chat and some random question will come up from someone doing a show, from a DJ that wasn't quite sure of something and he puts the answer for him. Wow. The guy's off the charts. The guy is absolutely off the charts. Um, and again, I got to say, in, in, in my defense, I wish I remembered the doo-wop as, as much. It just, it, it, it was my time period. But I was really, really way too young for the, the data of that detail to start forming. Okay. Mine started coming about in the 60s. So we were just speaking of Larry Chance. And I think I would like to now make an announcement. You know, Larry Chance is, is a wonderful friend of mine. I've gotten to interview him several times. And I got to interview him again just a couple weeks ago and unfortunately it ended up being a uh, a beautiful tribute show it was supposed to be a fun christmas show with his christmas album and even through him losing one of his best best friends okay bobby coleman um i want to say this he still did the interview and he gave me a good half hour so i want to do a little shout out to the earls I want to give an incredible shout out to Larry Chance. And I want to say rest in peace to Bobby Coleman. And I want to tell you something about RTR you may not know. RTR, Remember Then Radio, named their network after the song by the Earls. Remember that, remember, 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 right? You know that, obviously. Remember, remember, remember. Yeah, you do it much better than me. I'm a terrible singer. And one more incredibly beautiful fact I'm going to tell you that you do not know. And I know you do not know this one. Um, I was enshrined in 2019 into the Internet International Hall of Fame for radio show host. And there's like, uh, you know, all the leaders of the different countries, they make the final vote. So people have sent in thousands of votes why they thought I should be nominated, but they ultimately make the final vote, and I was unanimously voted in. And once that took place, I was able to hear some of the voters' feedback on why they thought I should be in. Do you know what one of the voters said? And I forget which country he was from. It may have been Germany. I'm not sure exactly. I forget. Do you know why he said I should be in? I'd love to know. He said, if Jerry Petito could get to interview Larry Chance from the Earls on the same station that was named after his incredible song, She Needs to Be In. Oh, wow. Was that cool or what? Absolutely. And looking at it from this side of the microphone, I am so flattered that I'm being interviewed by the same person 
that interviewed Larry Chance. Oh my gosh. Me, it, it's humbling. It oh really my gosh. Is. I'm humbled. Are you kidding me? Interviewing all you incredible people. Thank you. But is, you know, and when I got to finally meet Larry, it was last March 7th on my birthday at a show he did locally. I finally got to hug him on my birthday and he was just gloating over that information. And his, and his group told me that I'm giving him a big head. <laughs> show you another coincidence, Jerry. Um, uh, I was a DJ at a live club in Jacksonville called 57 Heaven. And at that point in time, I remember I was playing with the idea of opening up my own oldies club. And guess what the name was that I was going to give it? <gasps> Tell me. Remember then. And I could even see it coming in through the alcove and having the music piped in with that song constantly playing on a loop. That oh was my, my gosh. Dream back then. All right, then you know what? You know what is coming next, right? Here we go, guys. Let's play it. Remember then. Oh my goodness. Larry Chance and the Earls. That's the song. Wow. That's the song of all songs. I mean, absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. So, all right. So let's get back to some fun stuff about you and your book. So, um, you know, you re it's really from the '60s through the '90s, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, and tell us a little bit more about what went on with you in your life through the '60s and the '90s. A little bit more. Ah. Uh. All right, we established the fact that I was one of the world's worst bass guitarists. Okay. <laughs> um, came the point in time later that I really got involved in some other areas, and I decided to start doing some songwriting and managing some bands. Um, 
as it turns out, I learned that managing bands is not a glory job. It's kind of being a glorified babysitter. And I would have them, I would book them. And in all honesty, I wasn't even concerned with getting a commission off their bookings. It was just kind of cool because now all of a sudden I could just stroke my own ego and you know, you come into a club where they're playing and hey, I'm the band's manager. Uh, but then all of a sudden at three o'clock in the morning when you start getting a phone call, hey, we're broken down off the side of New Jersey Turnpike, can you come get us? Um, that wasn't so much fun along the way. So I kind of let that go. And as it turns out, there was one duo that I was working with. They were Central Jersey, the name of Perella and Parker. And I heard them in a club and they were doing a lot of John Denver, they were doing Harry Chapin, they were doing James Taylor, soft rock, but there was something special about them along the way. So I kind of went up to them after their set and got to know them, and um, turns out they called me about a week later saying, hey, we need a manager, do you want to represent us? So I figured, okay, great, let's do it, and I started managing Perella and Parker, and um, they were doing quite well. I was finding it pretty easy to book them around Central Jersey. Um, but then I found out that one of the members was a little bit OCD, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. It was just a fact. Um, and th the problem was, it was abrasive to the other guy. So, long and short of it, they were going through constant friction, and I saw it coming that they were going to break up pretty soon, and lo and behold, they did. Now, Tom Perella and I became friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, so much that he's my uh, daughter Jamie's godfather. Tom and I all of a sudden sat up one night, probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. The guy was a tremendous guitar player, tremendous composer, had close to a four-octave range voice, and we just started playing around with something. As he's strumming it out, I'm coming up with lyrics in my head. And lo and behold, before dawn, we had written a song. Wow. And to just put it together, we decided, hey, this is pretty cool. And we kept on working together and working together. And by the time all was over, we came up with probably somewhere between 70 and 80 songs. Um, I would say 10 of them were really good. Um, I was in charge of sending them out to labels. And lo and behold, we did get picked up by Largo Music with one of the songs. And it was published, and we signed a contract with them. Um, Pat Benatar was assigned to do the song, but oh. somehow it was one of those, yeah, it, it was Benatar, but it was the last song that was cut from her current album at that point in time. So it was never released, and I was never able to get a hand on it. Um, but w what a great legacy along the way. All those songs, still having them, and my daughters kind of grew up on them along the way. So it, it was just a, a great thing. Um, that led me in later on to the live DJing, and the live DJing I did because I was on sabbatical for my job and looking for something to do, and a club was being built, and I walked in, I am just asked for the owner, and this guy by the name of um, Eddie Cohen, and spoke to him, said, hey, you're looking for a DJ, and he says, actually, we are, he says, let me talk, have you talk to my other DJ? So I sat down, uh, I unfortunately can't remember his name, I just remember his name was Al. Um, he said, do you know music? And I said, try me. And he said, okay, um, who did Hound Dog? <laughs> and I looked at him, 
And I said, you can't be tossing me a softball like Elvis. You're talking about Hound Dog Man by Big Mama Thornton, aren't you? And he kind of looks at me. He says, you do know your stuff. And I said, well, that was an easy one. Let's keep going. And he kept on challenging me on it. And I was coming up with stuff. And lo and behold, uh, I was the DJ that opened up 57 Heaven. Um, loved it. Did it for six months. Absolutely great job. But once again, um, one of those things that it wasn't an adult job, I'll put it to you that way, not working in a club and I had a family to support and as much as I loved doing it, it was time to put that away. So I put it away, went back to adult life and back to my, my normal career. And the next phase that happened was uh, the Trivia So it kind of brought things full circle. What I started out with as a kid all of a sudden, I'm back to doing now at almost 72 years old. So is it safe to say you're no longer a dumbass, you're a smartass? Uh, I'd like to think so, yes. <laughs> but it's not up to me to, to decide. Yes, you are. So, all uh, right. My brother might be able to tell you better than me. Yes, so John, tell me in the chat room, smartass or dumbass? Be careful, baby, what you type in there. All right, so I have a couple <laughs> silly questions, and then, um, all right, so... What I wanted to ask you was this. So, um, you know, you, you know, like little thing, what little silly trivia things that some people may know, some people may not, but Ringo's real name. What was Ringo's real name? Boris Vladovich. Okay. It was Richard Starkey, for those that don't know, but that, that's what I call a softball question. Now, okay. Do, do, you, do you want to see what, what a real question would be? Yeah, sure. Okay. Here's a perfect example for you. And we're, we're going to stay neutral in the time period. We're going to go in the late 60s. Okay. Everybody everybody remembers Otis Redding. Yes. Everybody remembers the single fact that Otis Redding wrote Respect, correct? Yeah, but what about Dock of the Bay? I mean, come on. Uh-huh. Well, okay, we're going to that. Okay. Yeah, Otis, Otis did not write Respect. It's unknown who actually wrote it. So now we're going to go to Dock of the Bay. Oh. Uh, it's a song that Otis had written. Um, his voice was recovering from some form of surgery. His producer at that point in time didn't like the sound of it because it wasn't Otis's normal over-the-top vocals. And he said that, I don't know if I could ever get this released. Well, lo and behold, we come up now to the, the tragedy. Um, Otis, number one, was traveling with his band. They were all killed except the trumpet player. Um, I cannot remember his name, unfortunately, at this moment. Um, but that band had originally been the Barkays. People remember from the early 60s, the Barkays did a song called Soul Finger. Okay. The Barkays were Otis's band that died with him. It was supposed to have been the band War from Cisco Kid and Why Can't We Be Friends, but War could not join them because their keyboard player was too young to travel. So now let's come down to the fun part of it. This is all pretty well common knowledge. Otis's plane was on its way to Madison, Wisconsin. It went down in a lake outside of, outside of Madison. Number one, the plane that Otis was flying, he was piloting himself, he had purchased from James Brown. James Brown had warned him not to use it in bad weather. Otis didn't listen. He was flying in bad weather. Now, 
as I'm doing research, what enters my mind, and this is the way the thought process goes, Jerry, what was going on behind the scenes? Why was he going to Madison, Wisconsin? And I dig a little bit further along the way, and sure enough, yes, he did have a show set in Madison, Wisconsin, and yes, he was killed just prior to the, the start time of the show. Now, this was before cell phones, this was before internet, anything like this. You already had a crowd gathering at the theater in Madison. I think it was called the Forum. And they were waiting for Otis. And there was an opening band that was performing and letting him play. And they just kept on going, not realizing the fact that Otis is running late. So they kept on stalling and stalling, and the crowd is getting a little bit more impatient. And the band keeps on playing. Until finally the word comes through, and I guess it was through police, uh, that Otis's plane had crashed and he would not be arriving. So it, indeed a tragedy for a, a man so young and so talented. Well, the side story now is this band that was playing and kept on playing and kept on playing. Are you ready for their name? Okay. They were called the Grim Reapers. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is kind of a, a mind-blower that the... the tie-in there, but what makes it even stranger is the Grim Reapers, they kind of uh, evolved after that. They became another band that was pretty well known in the 70s and the 80s. The Grim Reapers became Cheap Trick. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's the type of stuff that's that cool. Triviapedia goes into. Okay, so um, I'm going to mention two other groups, two other bands, and there's a reason why. Um, you know, of course, everyone knows the Mystics, the song Hushabai, Al Contrera and the Mystics. And the reason why I want to talk about Al for a few minutes is that I just got to interview um, the entire band, the Mystics. Um, I've interviewed Al before. He's a good friend of mine. I, I've met him several times. And um, I want to say rest in peace to Bobby Ferrante. And the reason why this means so much to me is that he he passed away soon after our interview. And it was on 11-11, and they didn't think he was going to be able to do the interview, and he did. So I can't wow. be more honored. So I wanted to give a shout-out to the Mystics and rest in peace to Bobby. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to Kenny Jeremiah. From the the guy who sang Expressway to Your Heart from the Soul Survivors. I got to be with him um, in October at a show he was doing, sat at his table, got to hug him again and again and again. Thank you, God, for that. I was supposed to interview him in December um, with John Monforto, Philadelphia Rocky. John and I are still going to be doing that interview in honor of Kenny. Um, I think that's December 23rd, everyone. Um, so I wanted to just say rest in peace to Kenny as well. And, you know, for anyone who didn't know about Kenny Jeremiah from Express, who sang Expressway to Your Heart, the guy, I believe, was either 76 or 77. He was still jumping off of chairs. He jumped off of chairs that night while singing. The guy was in incredible shape. And unfortunately, COVID took him. So I just had to say all that. Um just because I think it's important. So now give me some trivia on on mystics and on soul survivors. Well, the, the mystics particularly had, had a very, very rich history. 
Hushabye to me was one of the best doo-wop songs ever. And the reason I remember it so much, despite my begging off the foreign doo-wop, uh, I had a good friend when I was a teenager, and this kid was a cousin of some sort, a relative of Dion DiMucci. And I remember his talking about the Mystics and his telling me how Dion had ripped the Mystics off. Uh, Teenager in Love was the first song that Dion de Belmont really got national attention for. And that song was scheduled to have been done by the Mystics, believe it or not. Um, so Dion took off. The Mystics are still left in the dust, kind of. They got a consolation prize and they went to studio and they did a song that at that point in time was, was very, very strange. It was called Wemo Way. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. Wemo Way actually came from the 30s, from South Africa, Linda Solomon. You know, great big controversy. And there was a great um, show on it about that, about the lion sleeps tonight, which is what that song became. Neil Sadaka's band, the Tokens, took over and they recorded the Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> now, besides Hushabai, there, there's a couple of other things for the Mystics here that really make them a, a very rich in history. Uh, number one, at one point in time, they had a lead vocalist by the name of Jay Trainer. Right? Jay yep. Trainer might not be a, a name known to most people. But Jake Trainer later went on to form Jay and the Americans. Yep. So And I got to interview I got to interview Jay and the Americans with the Jays. There are like three different Jays. <laughs> Jay yes. Black, Jay Trainer, yeah. and I can't remember the third one, but yeah, absolutely great yes. American band along the way. As a matter of fact, Jay Black that you probably interviewed was one of the uh, managing people, the, the production team behind Woodstock. Very so cool. Yep, very cool. Uh the other thing with the Mystics is as time went on, they evolved and they started getting other guys coming through. And in the, I think, late 60s, yeah, somewhere around there, two guys joined the band by the name of Joe Esposito and Bruce Sedano. Uh, they spent their time with the band. They paid the dues. Uh, at this point in time, they weren't on the charts anymore, but the band was still very active. But uh, Esposito and Sedano decided to go Hollywood. And it's exactly what they did. They went out to Hollywood and tried to seek their fortune out there. Well, as it turns out, Joe Esposito, known as Joe Bean, more than anything else, became a very good friend with Donna Summer, uh, started doing a lot of work with her. And as a matter of fact, Joe is the one that originally sang the uh, theme song for the movie Flashdance. And they re-recorded it with Irene Cara because they wanted to keep the female touch into the movie. So Esposito's version of it was never released. Uh, Joe was also scheduled to do uh, I've Had the Time of My Life with Donna Summer from Dirty Dancing. Uh, Donna turned it down because she didn't like the title of the movie. Uh, but Joe had, had a long and illustrated career. And Bruce Sedano, his sidekick along the way, wound up becoming Mr. Donna Summer. He wound up marrying her. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, all right. So now... Um, we have a few more minutes left. Give us like about two or three minutes of some trivia on the Soul Survivors. Uh, <laughs> flashbacks, memories, you know, the song is to put you in a certain place at a certain time. Um, Soul Survivors, Blue-Eyed Soul from Philadelphia. The, the one thing I do remember 
is the great songwriting team of Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. They were pretty well just starting out, and Express Away to Your Heart was their first hit. Uh, the song spent a lot of time in the charts back in 67, 68, which are my clubbing days, and that song particularly puts me in a place called the Garden Lounge in Jackson Heights. Uh, used to be one of my hangouts, my watering holes during my Navy days, and it, it doesn't fail. I hear that song, and I'm back there dancing with a girlfriend by the name of Joanne Pertel from way back in those yep. days. Um, the, the one thing I do remember is there was a rumor going around, still is, uh, at this point in time, that Steely Dan re referred to Soul Survivors in their song A19. And, you know, of course I heard that one and I wanted to check into it. And sure enough, there is a line in Hey 19 that goes something like, uh, it's hard time befallen the soul survivors. And I figured, wow, this is cool. Yeah, he was talking about the band. And unfortunately, I looked it up. And when you looked at their lyrics on it, it's soul, S-O-L-E, meaning singular, versus soul survivors as they spent their names. So... It wasn't a shout-out to Kenny's band, but at the same point in time, it was still kind of cool. Um, never had a chance to, to meet Kenny as you did. Uh. I, I wish I did. Everything I hear, that this guy was just a bundle of energy and laughs and everything else and just loved life and loved performing. And, uh, you know, w what a sad thing for yes. him to get taken by this tragic disease. He was so one of the most, yeah, rest in peace, Kenny. He was one of the most amazing, incredibly beautiful inside and out people I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. Yes, rest in peace, Kenny. Crazy. Um, so right about now, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell everyone how they can get your books, anything else you want to tell them to reach out to you, your information. All right. Well, there are two books. There's the Triviapedia, which was released a year ago and the Trivia-pedia 2 Big Book of Questions. The Trivia-pedia itself is going through a rewrite now, re-edit. Uh, unfortunately, the formatting and the editing on that book was terrible in the beginning, so I'm redoing it, and it should be re-released in about a week. Um, I am very, very proud of the Big Book of Questions, and here's the difference between the books. Uh, each one is about 650 pages. Each one has about 2,000 facts or 2,000 questions, as the case might be. Um, when I had done the original Triviapedia, there's a lot of facts in there, and, and it's cool. I mean, if you're a Triviapedia-ologist, as I am, if you're a rock and roll fan, you could just kind of sit there and read through it and find all these facts that just all over the time, from all the time period, 60s through 90s. Um, but what it came down to, after the release of that, I'm looking at it, and I kind of had the feeling that it's a little bit too shotgun. It, it wasn't cohesive in any one particular area. It was just a bunch of facts. So somebody mentioned the idea about, hey, why don't you make it into a game? And I started thinking back to the, the smart-ass game and then the game with my daughters, um, which we would start playing along the way, whereby we challenge each other with trivia questions. And I, I have four daughters, by the way. They are all into music entirely. They're, they are all named after songs or uh, artists, and their kids are named after songs or artists. And by the way, I have a granddaughter named Astoria, so That's cool. that'll show you the connection there. That's cool. Um, the, the difference is now the big book of 
questions is broken down into four chapters, those being 60s through the 90s, and everything is done in a question form, whereby you then have three possible answers, and beneath it, in a smaller type than in script, is the actual answer to the question, meaning you could sit there yourself and read it as a text and look at the question to find the answer, or you could use it as a game where you get together with your friends and challenge them and say, okay, here's the question and give them the, uh, the possible answers. Um, but it, it's fantastic and these are all mind-blowing things in there. People think that they know trivia. This is one of these things that proves to you that maybe you don't know it as well as you think you do, with the exception, of course, of Jerry's friends. Um, but that's the whole purpose of it. And it's educational, it's fun, it's entertaining, and that's the point. Okay. Both books are available on Amazon. Uh, they're in uh, paperback and they're in Kindle form. I don't recommend the Kindle so much because there's so much information on there. It's kind of, you lose something on that small screen. You know, the paperback is so much better. Okay. Uh, again, 650 pages. So these are not little, little tiny books. Uh, as a matter of fact, on your, um, the, your announcement page along the way, there's a picture of it. You can see the side of the book and see the thickness of it. Um, they're big. They're there. They're available. They're fun. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it basically to share the information with people that love music and love trivia as much as I do. Well, I want to say thank you to you, first of all, for being an incredible guest today. Um, you know, we're on Remember Them Radio. I mean, the, the best of the best are all part of this station, you know, from back in the day till present. So they're all going to love hearing about this book. So that's first and foremost. I want to thank everyone in the chat room. I want to thank everyone listening. And of course, again, I want to thank Angel and Steve for this incredible platform on RTR. Um, once this show is downloaded, it will be on Facebook. And please share it. Let's get this information out for Bud Cardone, his incredible books. What I would like to do now, Bud, is I would like to play a couple songs. This is how I think we should close the show. So we should honor the mystics. We'll play Hushabai, and then we will, of course, honor Kenny Jeremiah, and we will close with Expressway to Your Heart. So here, here we Absolutely. go. Absolutely. And Merry Christmas to everyone, and thank you, Jerry, for having me on. Oh, amazing. Thank you, sweetheart. So here we go, guys. The
just your head Salmon will be coming soon Singing you a slumber tune Contrera and the Mystics, rest in peace, Bobby Ferrante. Now we're going to hear another classic, another crazy, incredible song. And we're going to honor another great legend. Here we go. Expressway to your heart, everyone. Kenny Jeremiah.
Rest in peace, Kenny Jeremiah from The Soul Survivors. Wow. So I want to just say thank you again, man. Bud Cardone, everyone, author of the Rock and Roll Triviapedia and the recently released Triviapedia 2, the big book of questions. I have a little surprise theme song we're going to close with. Here we go, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Petito. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. And in time, this too shall pass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Jerry Petito taught the class. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Loves the answer, the greener grass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. One day at a time, free at last. When you don't know just what to do. Just what to do, just what to do. If what you're feeling is really true. It's really true. Really true. Just keep your ideas safe and sound. Safe and sound, safe and sound. That's exactly how change is found. Change is found, change is found. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. And in time, this too shall pass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Jerry Petito taught the class. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. Loves the answer, the greener grass. I'm not an addict, I'm just an ass. One day at a time, free at last.